Well, great. Uh, we are going to be looking in Isaiah this morning, and so if you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you. Love for you to be able to read along and see exactly what's being said here. Very important to see the actual words of Scripture. And in that particular Bible, it's uh, page 511, Isaiah 42. Now, we're starting a new series, and I thought it would be helpful to introduce this series uh, and, the, and put it in context of the ministry of this church. And so, um, if you here's the series, God's Heart for. We're going to be looking at the poor. We did already uh, last week, justice this week, and then our work, the nation's health and creation. And, and why are we doing this? Where does this series come from? If you would go to the next slide, uh, some of you will, will know this. Um, this is what we're calling the core four of our church, and it, it defines kind of the direction of our ministry. Um, We have, first of all, ministry to God. That's our worshiping ministry. We have ministry to the church body on the right-hand side. That's our our ministry of serving. We have ministry to the believer, which is our ministry of discipleship. We're trying to help people grow in Christ. And then we have ministry to the world. Uh, It's our ministry of mission uh, into the world. And this series really comes out of a desire to define better this ministry to the world, especially in the, the local version of it. Now, if you've been around, you know that uh, Andrew Franklin, who was our pastoral intern, changed to become our director of City Mission, and the bulk of what he's been doing with that has been working with the homeless in our area. Uh, and he's uh, worked that through to a certain stage where now uh, he's, he's not going to be done with that, but he, he, he's, along with finishing seminary, he's got uh, a little bit more bandwidth, and we've given him more hours, and so we're trying to expand and think through what does it look like to uh, in, embrace the call to minister to the world in a more full-orbed sense. And so we started uh, by going through the scripture and looking at what are those things in, in God's heart that, uh, that draw on the specific societal struggles uh, in the world around us. How does God's heart speak into the difficulties and the challenges of the world around us? And so if you go to the next slide... Um, we, that's how we came up with these particular uh, values, the, the poor, justice, our work, the nation's health creation. These are places where we can meet the culture around us with the gospel and hopefully shed some light on uh, the power of Jesus to speak into the difficulties of our world. And so this is also going to become kind of the curriculum of, of how Andrew carries out the ministry or really equips us all to carry out the ministry of, of the city mission and so uh, he's really going to be the banner carrier for that, uh, but we're all going to hopefully embrace that. So we're putting all these on the table to begin to work towards that. And, and this one in particular today is, is justice. And I don't have to say much about how important this concept is in our world. Um, in Missouri, even this last week, you've been reading about Michael Brown and all the things that have gone on there. And, and we could just go on down the line. There's injustice all around us. And so the question then becomes, how do we speak into that, or how do we live in the face of that? How do we bring the gospel into the middle of that? And that's what we want to explore today, starting in Isaiah 42. And there'll be some lessons out of this about God's heart. And my hope and my prayer is that as we look at God's heart, we'll we'll take that on more and more. So a little background to Isaiah 42. He's going to be our guide uh, for this uh, discussion of justice. The book of Isaiah is divided into three parts. Uh, basically, the first part is Isaiah speaking to Israel before the exile. The middle part is Isaiah speaking to Israel in the middle of the exile, where they have been after they've been exiled to the nations around them. And then the last part is, is Isaiah speaking to Israel about a day when they'll be restored 
to Israel. So they were sent in exile because of disobedience, but it was to be a temporary thing. They were to be brought back and restored, uh, not only to their former glory, but, but even beyond that. And so Isaiah is divided into three parts to speak to those. The chapter that we're looking at today is Isaiah, Isaiah speaking to those who are in exile. Okay, so you, you need to have that sort of image in your mind, these people who had a, a kind of a glorious nation that was thriving and strong, but dec- decaying on the inside because of the moral crumbling. And God breaks in, uh, allows the nations around them to, 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 to be his hands of justice, really, upon them. Uh, and they're taken into exile, and so they're this beleaguered minority now. And they need a, a voice of hope. They need a voice of confidence. They need to know that, that God hasn't forgotten them. And so God speaks into that exile. And he talks to them about a servant that he's going to send. And this servant is going to have as his primary goal to bring about what? Justice. Because there are people who suffered under injustice. And and that's where we pick this up in Isaiah 42, verse 1. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him. And if you're reading this and you're thinking... Uh, that sounds like Jesus' baptism. Uh, that's what you should be thinking. Um, when Jesus was baptized, it became obvious that he was this servant because the Spirit of the Lord was on him and, and, and God expressed his delight in him. And it says of the servant, he will bring forth justice to the nations. This is very powerful. And this, this puts justice right in the center of Jesus' agenda. And so what does it mean to bring justice. And to answer that question, we have to ask, well, what kinds of injustices were the people of Israel facing at at that time? And if we can figure that out, then we can understand what what God means when he talks about bringing justice. So rewinding the tape a little bit, if you look back to the people of Israel during the time before the exile, it was characterized by extravagance and wealth and idolatry and greed and... uh, corrupt judges, and people who neglected the poor, and, and they worshipped idols. And, and so this was, the, this was the injustice that they sat among. And then, because of the, the decay and the, and the sin that was involved there, when, when God brought the nations to bring judgment on Israel, the nations came around and, and, and made war against Israel, and they took away the cream of the crop from Israel and, and, and took them into to, to, uh, to Babylon and, 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 and just basically turned the, the leadership of the nation away so that, so that, and they were mistreated. So there was injustice in, in the the war-making of the nations around Israel. So, at the end of the day, when you look at all the injustices that are happening, what you, what you get is a sense that when, when Isaiah talks about injustice, when God talks about his servant bringing forth justice, it's a very comprehensive kind of justice. And this is the challenge of our, of our, our time this morning, is it's such a comprehensive justice. John Oswald wrote a great uh, commentary on the book of Isaiah. And he defines justice in this particular verse in this way. It involves societal order in which the concerns of all are addressed. It's societal order in which the concerns are of all are addressed. Taking the sweep of the book of Isaiah and, and the use of, of the term justice, that's how we define justice. So this is a big thing for us to tackle. And really what I hope to do this morning is, 
is really not much more than just sort of get this on the, on the agenda, to get the concept of justice and God's heart for justice on the agenda. We're going to have a lot more to think about um, later what this looks like, but let me, let me just work away at first getting this on our agenda a little bit more. Okay, verse 2. I'm not going to take that long on every verse, don't worry. Uh, verse 2, he will not cry aloud, this, this servant who will bring justice or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. Now, this is very surprising. In that day, when a king would take power, he would come with authority and he would sort of force justice on everybody. And a lot of people would get ground up in the machinery on the way. But this, this servant is going to come and he will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it hurt in the street. Moreover, a bruised reed he will not break. He will not go about crushing the weak to bring justice. And faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. But though he's going to be gentle, he's not going to be weak. Verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. So, so justice will reach to the furthest reaches. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk it. In other words, the creator and the sustainer of the world will make good on this promise to bring about justice. And he's shown and demonstrated that he is able. Verse 6, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. And it's a singular you there, he's talking about this servant. I will take you by the hand and keep you. So, so this servant is going to come and, and bring justice, but this servant will have a special relationship with the Lord, characterized by this being taken by the hand. You think of the father-son relationship here Echoes of it in the background. I will give you as a covenant for the people, that is Israel, and as a light for the nations, that is the surrounding world, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And so imagine these exiles, they've experienced all kinds of injustice, they've been perpetrators of all kinds of injustice, they've been caught up in it all. And out of the dungeon of darkness that comes from that sin, this servant will call people. He will bring them forth and bring them into freedom from all of that injustice and sin. Verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. So there are the exiles sitting and waiting. And out of the darkness comes this voice to say, there will spring forth justice one day. And therefore, you ought to have confidence and hope in the midst of your struggle. Now, the vision for justice is very comprehensive, as I've said already. Um, And it's core to Jesus' mission. And it's a little bit overwhelming in the comprehensive nature of it. Uh, In fact, almost everything that we're talking about in this series could be brought under the title of justice. It all is connected to justice. In the scripture, uh, the four primary words that uh, refer to justice in the Old and the New Testament appear 
conservative estimate, you know, over a thousand times, a thousand sixty times. So this is very core to the message of Jesus and to God's redemptive plan, the idea of justice. And yet I find, and, and maybe many of you have found as well, that the topic of justice is not often spoken of in the church context in a way that reflects the number of times it appears in the scripture. In fact, historically, and, and Andrew Franklin pointed this out, there's been kind of a di- division, and, and it's hard to talk about these different camps, but you've had the, the conservative churches who it's been their lot to, to take care of evangelism and the winning of souls. And then uh, on the liberal church side, it's been their lot to, to work uh, for bringing about justice uh, for what's called the social gospel. And those are, are huge generalizations, but they, there's some truth in it. And was doing a little reading uh, and, and going back and looking at how this came about, how this distinction came about between the two camps. And you really have to go back to the early 1900s, um, and you can capture what happened then in a debate between two pastors. There was, there was one named Walter Rauschenbusch, and, and he, he became uh, emblematic of the social gospel. He was living in New York City and ministering among the poor and doing great things and calling people to minister to the poor, and rightfully so, saying, you know, we're not doing enough to address the needs of the poor as a church, and, and God's calling us to this, and, and it was a great call, and he, he had so many good insights, but um, sort of unfortunately, he also wrote some theology, and he wasn't maybe so adept at writing theology, and um, uh, his theology included, as part of his justification, some of the letting, letting go of the atonement, the very core of the cross, this idea that, that Jesus died on the cross to take into himself the penalty for sins. And so Rauschenbusch let go of that core doctrine, which is sort of ironic because that's a doctrine of justice. And so if you, if you take that out, you lose that, that bit of justice. And so um, people responded to this, and one of, the, one of, the, one of the, the, the pastors who responded was named was I.M. Haldeman, and he wrote this pamphlet in 1911 against Rauschenbusch, and he, and he basically said, um, here's what's really going on, uh, is, is the world is a sinking ship, and all of our efforts to help the poor and to get involved in bringing about justice, those are like swimming out to the sinking ship and painting it and gilding it as it sinks. And he said, basically, uh, we shouldn't waste our time doing those things, we just need to win souls and bring them into the, ki- the kingdom. And so you can see right there the stark contrast between this one pastor who's in the inner city working with the poor and then this other pastor who says, none of that's going to matter because we're on a sinking ship and you just, you just need to save souls. And when we, look, when we turn back to the scripture and we ask, well, what, is the, what does the Bible say? We discover that it, it really has room for, in fact, not only room for, it calls us to both of those, to the winning of souls and to the working for justice in the world. We can't let go of one or the other. We can't allow the historical debate to force us into a box that doesn't fit us, that doesn't fit the gospel, that doesn't fit the Bible that we've been reading and the Jesus who we love. Jesus was, was both and on that end. What we do now matters and as, as Andrew uh, preached earlier, it matters into eternity. And so taking those opportunities to, to work for justice are really important. And at the same time, if that's all we did, we'd be missing an incredible component, which is that we've, we've got to be preaching the gospel and winning souls, as I like to say in the old way, and, and bringing people into salvation uh, and, and, and thinking of eternity 
in that way. It's, it's, a, it's a both and. And so we have to recover from the historical sort of uh, path that has placed us where we are. We've got to put justice back on the table if we're tending towards the conserv- traditionally conservative side. And if we're on the liberal side, we've got to put the gospel of salvation back on the table so that we have a holistic approach to all of this. And again, these are some strong generalizations, but they, they hold true. God's heart is for both. We've got to put this back on the table. And so I want to challenge you, and, and maybe we come at this sometimes more from the conservative side because of our, our heritage. I want to challenge you, if justice is not a part of your mental furniture, get it back in there. And I want to challenge myself in that too, that justice matters to God. His heart is for justice. And so we've got to get that back into the mental furniture that, 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 that shapes our daily thoughts and, and the way that we look at the world around us and how we move through the various contexts in which God has us. And we need to be careful in that process um, to, as we're putting justice back in our heads to, to be careful of our blind spots because part of the thing about justice, and you see this in the definition of justice, it's, it's, it's understanding what somebody else is going through and what their predicament is like and then out of that, bringing sort of the gospel to bear in their circumstance. So let me give you an example of when, when God, one time when God really did this in my life. I moved from, from um, San Diego to Santa Barbara to go to school, and then to Chicago in the north suburbs of Chicago to go to seminary. And I walked onto the campus, and there's no other way to say this, but it was the whitest place I'd ever been in my life. And I felt like uncomfortable because I had never been in that kind of context where everybody was sort of the same race. In San Diego, I was in a very diverse school, and then uh, other places where I was, I just was used to that. And so I didn't know what to do with myself, so I thought I would join the African-American student group. Um, so I showed up, um, and it was the, I was the white guy, and uh, it was great. They totally embraced me, and, and, and we had great conversation. In fact, they, they eventually made me the secretary of the group, and uh, it was wonderful. And then when I would go to you know, apply to churches after that, you know, people thought I was African-American. I'd show up and they're like, oh, white guy. Um, but I, 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 ch- I treasured and cherished these few students who were, who were at that campus, most of whom were from the south side of Chicago. And if you know anything about that, it's, it's, it's quite a place. And I'll never forget one meeting. We were sitting around talking, and uh, they, they talked about this term called driving, this phrase, driving while black. And they started sharing stories of being pulled over for what seemed like no other reason than their race. And you may or may not be skeptical about that, but these stories were powerful. And, and, and I, as I sat there listening to them. I started to see the world through their eyes. And then the most beautiful thing happened. They, they turned, they opened the Bible, and we started reading the prophets and reading about justice and God's love, his heart for justice. And as I was reading and listening to these, suddenly these, these texts that I had glossed over because I grew up privileged and, and white and whatever and didn't have to deal with injustice very much, all of a sudden these verses leapt off the page into my heart and they had so much more meaning and, 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 and power in my life. And I cherish, I'll never forget that gift that they gave me to be able to see the world a little differently. And that's the process that we've got continually to be going through if we're going to embrace justice 
as a congregation and as a people. To be able to get into the seat of somebody else and look at the world through that. And that's what God is calling, calling us to as we, as we embrace this with our hearts. And so maybe you, you feel that and you go, okay, that, yeah, that's right, that's good, that's true, I understand God's heart, I want to do it, what do I do now? And we're not going to be able to answer that question entirely this morning, um, but we can, we can begin to think about it a little bit. And I think the question that comes to my mind when you ask that question, what do I do now, how do I engage, is first has to be the question, where are you? Where are you? That's the answer to embracing the call to inhabit justice with God's heart. Where are you? Because that's God's overarching plan is to to call us to himself, to to save us, to fill us with the Spirit, and then send us out scattered into the world, wherever we find ourselves. So you're you're uniquely in places where nobody else is. And you have opportunity to bring justice there in ways that other people can't. And that's the answer to the question, where do I start? You start where you are. So does that mean you start in your neighborhood? Maybe so. It might mean you start in your family to bring justice there first. It might mean that you start uh, in your workplace where you see injustice. And again, if that, that language has not been a part of the furniture of your mind, then now you may begin to look at your workplace with different eyes. Where is there, where is there injustice where I can bring the heart of God? Maybe it's at your school or in your community some way in a, in a larger respect. And, and we, we so often, those of us who, who love Jesus and we want to see people come to faith, we're always asking this question, how can I bring the gospel to bear in the lives of the people around me? So they see Jesus. And this is one of the ways to be a people who, whose heart is for justice and bringing the pursuit of justice onto the table in our context so that, that people can can see what it means to follow Jesus Christ and they can experience firsthand and taste firsthand the implications of the gospel so that then they'll also want more, the one who invented justice, Jesus himself, and to be ultimately in relationship with him. And so all these things work together. And sometimes we start with the gospel, sometimes we start with justice, and it leads us to the gospel, and it's, it's all part of the same thing. The gospel is holistic, so it brings all of this to bear. So, start where you are, and, and I think there's a lot more conversation we have to have on the details of, of injustice and what, they, what it looks like in our workplace, and what does it look like in our families, and what does it look like in our neighborhoods, um, and we don't have time to explore all those, all those things today. Again, we're just trying to get justice on the table here. But from this text that we've been looking at, there are multiple things that, that really help us as we begin to pursue justice. So let me just pull out a few of them um, that I think will give us some, some guidelines. The first one is simply this. God defines justice. We must never forget that God defines justice. So as we go in pursuit of it, we must let God define it. Verse 4 says, uh, Till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for whose law? His law. That's God's law. And we are tempted to embrace lesser views of justice that are current in our world. So, you know, for example, this idea of the greatest good for as many people, which ends up being a very utilitarian, for the most people, which ends up being a utilitarian look at what, what justice is. See, God doesn't come at justice in that way. He comes at it from a different angle, from the value 
of the person. And so we've got we've to make sure that our conception of justice matches God's definition of justice. And we've got a lot more work to do in that, but we've got to get that on the table at least. Secondly, um, we've got to remember when we're pursuing justice that God cares both for the insider and the outsider. God cares both matter to God. He cares for both the insider and the outsider. And we see that in, these te- in this text because it's very interesting. There's provision for the servant to be a blessing not only to the people of God, but to those who are to the nations around the people of God. And we see this over and over through the Old Testament. I read the book Zealot recently. And one of the problems I had with that book is that his conception, you've seen this book, it's a bestseller, uh, it's about Jesus, it's basically arguing that Jesus is just as primarily a zealot um, and, and not a lot of the other things. And, and one of my problems with the book is that he, he, he seems to assume or somehow get the idea that, that Jesus only cared about Israel and the people of Israel only cared about the people of Israel. But if you read your Old Testament well, you, you read it carefully, you'll see that from the very beginning, God's intention was to bless not just his people, but then for them to be a blessing to the people on the outside. And in this text, we have it too, because the servant is going to be a covenant to the people of God and a light to the nations. And so we have to embrace that mindset too, to look for that person who's on the outside. That's where we're going to find the opportunities so often to bring justice, is in looking for that person who's on the outside. And, and isn't it true that whenever you grab a peop, group of people together, you know, there's a temptation to, to end up with insiders and outsiders. It's just human nature. And the gospel fights against that. It calls us to courageously avoid that kind of thinking and to be leaders in reaching out to the people who are on the outside. Because that's what Jesus did so often. And that's what God has done since the beginning. So, God defines justice. Both the insider and the outsider matter to God. And then justice can be gentle. That's the third one. This is surprising. I would never have thought of this one. But you've got to contrast this suffering servant to the kings who were of the day. They would, they would seize power. And what they would do is they would crash into the nation that they had just overwhelmed And with a strong arm, they would institute their version of justice, right? In the midst of it, they would likely grind up the weak and and the poor because they were trying to institute their reign. And here comes God proclaiming a a suffering servant, a servant who's going to bring about justice in an entirely different way. He's not going to come in and and smash and and be the strong arm, uh, although we have to except that there is an, a second coming of Jesus. And when the Bible talks about that, there is that, that embodiment of a kind of a, a strength and a, and a forcing. But in this, in this particular part in Isaiah, he's going to come in gentleness. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice, verse 2, or make it heard in the streets. And as this machine of justice rolls through, it's not going to just crush all the weak ones in its path. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And yet he's not going to be weak. He won't go, to, he won't go faint or be discouraged until he's established. He's, so gentleness does not mean weakness. It means gentleness. And as we pursue justice in the world around us, 
I'm finding it helpful to think about how you do that with gentleness. A couple of ways to think about this. Uh, Again, um, with Andrew uh, and, and the team that's been working with the poor, early on we decided that our, our main energy would go not into picketing City Hall, right? Now, that's, that's not to say that's not important and there isn't a place for that. But that our energy would go into finding homes for the homeless, taking care of the needs of the homeless, as God would empower us and enable us to do so. And, and that was a gentle way of doing it. And I just wonder, at the end of the day, more justice was probably done in that than in picketing in front of City Hall. So there is a, there is a place for that voice, but this opens the whole kind of, uh, how can you bring about justice in gentle ways, addressing the needs of the broken and the hurting and the outsider and wherever you see injustice around you. And I think about parenting, too. So much of parenting um, is about bringing about justice in the home. Really is. A lot of it is there's about just, you, you need justice in the home. And when we think of that, and we're taller than the kids, well, not so much anymore, but um, initially, you know, we're bigger, taller, and, and, and so we, we come at that from a place of strength and authority and power, and we want to stand in the street or the hallway and yell to bring about justice. And what a wonderful opportunity to think through what does it mean in that setting to bring about justice gently? What does it mean to bring about justice through gentleness? Um, So much more to be said about that, so much more for us to think about. But a very important thing is we pursue justice, justice can be gentle. And then lastly, God's creative and sustaining power is behind you as you pursue justice. Verses uh, 5, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people and on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. He, he made everything. He made everything. And he sustains it day in and day out. He's demonstrated that he's capable. And he is behind us in the pursuit of justice. He is behind Jesus and then the people of Jesus in the pursuit of justice Verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass. New things I now declare before they spring forth. So we're getting a picture of the future. I tell you of them. We can be confident because the maker and the sustainer of the universe is behind us. It's his heart. It's his heart. So we can get in line with that. I was reading about Gary Haugen who started International Justice Mission, which uh, helps to break people free from slavery all throughout the world. And they basically go into a nation where, on the books, there's laws against slavery, but nobody's enforcing them. And so there's all kinds of people enslaved, and they'll, they'll go in, and they'll, they'll take these, these uh, laws, and they'll bring prosecutors and, and people to, lawyers to come and prosecute the, the enslavers. And then the people who are enslaved get broken out of slavery. And he said... Over and over again, this is what I find in, in certain developing countries, and, and this, is, this is something that I think is not true of just developing countries. It's probably true. It's sort of a human dynamic. He said, basically, you've got 15% of the people who are working as hard as they can to abuse the system selfishly and take advantage of whatever they can. And then you've got about 15% of the people who are working against them. With all, they're, they're righteously 
combating the injustice. And then he said you've got about 70% of the people who are in the middle, and they're waiting to see which way the wind is blowing. And if it goes to the unjust side, then they'll, they'll, they'll align with that. If it goes to the just side, they'll get on board with that. And my thought is that probably in, in life's circumstances, that 70% includes some Christians. And God is calling us to step over to the side of being those who fight for justice. And he's backing us up with his sustaining and creating power. So we don't do this out of our own strength. We do it out of the strength of the Lord who enables us and whose spirit is upon us to throw that weight into the fight for justice. That's what God is calling. That's what his heart is. That's what God's heart is. So that's what we're called to do. And I think in the coming weeks and months and years, we're going to tease out more and more what that looks like. And maybe that means taking some steps for you individually um, in your workplace or your neighborhood or community. Maybe that means you taking some steps to bring the gospel of, and its, its justice implications to bear on the city as a, commu- as a home group as you figure out together or God gives you a calling in a direction. And then corporately, we're going to continue to pursue. We don't know exactly where God's going to lead us in this. The first thing is to get the heart right, how God's going to lead us forward in the pursuit of justice. Now, let me finish with this. Some of you might be saying, what then happens if I'm a victim of injustice? How can I be enlisted in the work for justice when I'm so broken and I've been a victim of it? And I'm, I, what do I do with that? You've experienced abuse or betrayal or out, you've been an outcast or neglect. And some of you are sitting there, and probably all of us should be saying this if we're, if we're honest. What happens if I'm the perpetrator of injustice? What do we do with that? How can I be enlisted in God's work for justice if, if I've perpetrated injustice on somebody else? And, and again, on, if we're honest, every single one of us falls into that category. See, God, says, God has to do something with us first before we can be enlisted in the work. And that's where the cross comes in. No surprise there. And that's why it's so important that we don't take justice out of the cross. We absolutely need the cross to be empowered for the work to which God has called us. First of all, we need to know if we're victims of injustice, and probably all of us are to some degree, but some of us are really seriously victimized by injustice, and and it, it affects us. We need to know that Jesus is there with us in the midst of our injustice because he suffered an injustice that's really unimaginable to take in to himself all the sins of the world and to be hung on a cross, the lowest most shameful place to be in the in in the the, the front the, the the city right on the freeway so everybody can see you to take all that into himself that's injustice and Jesus walked through that he knows what it's like to have suffered injustice and he will walk with you in that path to bring about healing and and if you are a bruised reed he will not break you if you are just a faintly burning wick in light of the injustice you've suffered, he will not quench you. Okay? That's the gospel for us if we're victims of injustice. And if we're perpetrators, which we all are, admittedly, if we're perpetrators of injustice, and then we need that cross too, right? Because we need to know that what we've done is not so great that we are eternally separated from the God, the only one who can help us in this work 
We're not eternally separated from him because of Jesus' work on the cross, because on that cross, he took into himself injustice, which included our sin. And so we can be forgiven. And so wherever you find yourself this morning, first, before you are enlisted in this task, come to Jesus to be filled. Be filled by Jesus. To be forgiven if you need to be forgiven. And if you're coming to grips with your sin today for the first time, and you want to talk to God and ask Him to forgive you, we, we encounter and we embrace God's forgiveness when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And you can do that right now. You can just express your faith. I want, I want this weight of sin to be lifted from me. I want to be burst from the dungeon of darkness that I've been carrying this in. Free me, Jesus. And you cry out to him in that way, and he brings freedom. That's why he went to the cross. He went to the cross. That's why he went. And if you are a victim, and for you to get on board the justice train, you need to deal with having been a victim, then cry out to Jesus. Lord, be with me in my suffering. Be with me in my brokenness. Help me know that you're in this prison with me. And you can free me. Let me not be alone in this injustice. That's the work of Christ, to come alongside you and to be with you in that darkness. And and as he brings healing and brings light and brings freedom, you will be empowered. You will be empowered to join in the great task of bringing justice to the world. However flawed and imperfect that will be in our work, it's still an awesome task.